Hey, good morning. We're looking at John 11. You can turn to page 1066 in that blue hardback Bible, uh, page 1066. Uh, if you were here with us last week, we looked at all of the story of uh, Jesus raising Lazarus uh, from the dead. And now we're going to be looking at it more section by section over the next couple of weeks. Uh, you know, last week, if you remember, if you were here, we talked about worry, stress, and anxiety. And I just need to apologize because you've had nothing to worry about this past week. So there's no application. That was a joke. Some of you don't know that. <laughs> I'm just joking. There's a lot that we could be worried about, right? Uh, but today we're going to be talking about what it means uh, to grow in anti-fragile faith. Now, with that in mind, let's hear from John 11. Uh, this is uh, the verse, uh, verses 1 through 16. Uh, so follow along with me in that print Bible in front of you. This is John 11, verse 1 and following. <clears throat> Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? <laughs> Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light's not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will endure forever. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Amen. Would you be seated and keep that Bible open as we pray? Uh, Father, uh, we have uh, so many things in this life uh, that are unpredictable, uh, that seem to stress us out, uh, that can be causes of worry and anxiety. Uh, Father, teach us to cast all of our anxieties on you because you care for us. Uh, Lord, in the midst of an unpredictable life, teach us what it means to trust you and to believe and to know your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we dive into uh, the beginning of this story of Lazarus, I have a question for you, if that's okay. Uh, do you think God is unpredictable? <laughs> is God unpredictable? Uh, have you ever asked the Lord, or maybe even this past week, have you asked him, God, what are you up to? What are you doing? And I, I, you know, maybe uh, you know, the coronavirus stuff, maybe you just think that's just too, you know, too far removed from your day-to-day -day life. Uh, but maybe more personally, have you ever asked God, what are you doing in my life? 
Uh, anyone here ever set five-year goals? You can raise your hand. We're that kind of church, right? Anyone here ever set five-year goals? None. None of you have. That's, yo, hey, one person, great. If you've ever set five-year goals, there's only one thing you know about your five-year goals, right? Which is you're never going to reach all of your five-year goals, right? Anyone uh, living the life you thought you would be living? Uh, anyone here, uh, you know, found, you know, that your family looks like you thought it would look like? your career, your finances, maybe parts of your life uh, turned out better than you would hope, but very few of us have the life that we would have predicted, right? And what I want to talk to you this morning about, uh, if you can, is when we think about the unpredictability of life, uh, there's a way to address that, uh, so in a way that you really lose your faith, and you become very pessimistic, and you become very much a defeated person. Uh, But there's another way of looking at those circumstances, uh, you know, there's a, there's a scholar, a risk analyst named Nassim Tlaib. He's a Lebanese-American. Uh, he wrote one of the most important books uh, in the last hundred years. Uh, he wrote a book called The Black Swan. Uh, you may have heard of it. Uh, he talks about uh, unpredictable events. Uh, he famously wrote this book in 2007, uh, talking about an unpredictable event that will forever change life. And as I'm sure you know, a year later in 2008, we had the 2008 financial collapse. And in this book, uh, remember Nassim Tlaib is a risk analyst. He's a stockbroker. Uh, he has a master's from the Wharton School of Business. And in this book, he talks about things called black swans. And uh, what, he, what he means by that, he's, he's pulling from an ancient metaphor, uh, where in the ancient world, people didn't believe that there were such things as black swans. They only could see white swans. And so black swans, well, that's just, you know, nonsense. Well, then, of course, what happens when you see your first black swan? <laughs> well, the motto that there are no black swans becomes a lesson in and of itself, but in a kind of different way, right? And a black swan, of course, is an unpredictable thing that changes life uh, forever, and so anyway, in this book, uh, he, he talks about how uh, there are so many things that are hard to anticipate, and really there's no way for us to anticipate what life is going to throw at us. Uh, he, he uses another avian illustration, so, so for all you birders out there, he uses an illustration to kind of get at this idea of the unpredictability of life, and he says, you know, uh, a black swan event, an unpredictable, uh, you know, experience in life is when a turkey meets a butcher, and even, he even does a growth chart, just like a stock market, where the turkey's life is going on this trajectory of up, up, and then one day everything turns foul. <laughs> For you birders, there was a pun in that. Yeah, so how are we supposed to respond to these unpredictable events in life? I mean, is there anything more, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, timely for us this, this week than the unpredictability of life. And what does that say about God? What does that say about God's character? I mean, after all, Hebrews 13.8 tells us what? It was the memory verse of 2018 at this church. Anybody remember? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. James 1.17 tells us something about God's character. He says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So how are we supposed to respond to the unpredictability of life? Well, I think the the most helpful way to sort of think about the unpredictability of life and uh, tragic events that can sort of change everything about the trajectory of our lives uh, is, is to pull from something that the scholar Walter Brueggemann talks about. 
And uh, Brueggemann is just a theologian, and he talks about the three steps of faith. Uh, And what he means by that is the three steps that most Christians experience in their walk with the Lord. And uh, there there are three simple steps. The first step that almost every Christian will make, uh, step one, is security. And what he means by that is we come to faith in Jesus Christ. We realize that he is the Son of God come to save us all. And we realize that when he died on the cross, he didn't die because he had sinned. He died because we have sinned. And he took the punishment that we deserved. And when he came back from the dead three days later, physically and bodily, uh, he wasn't just proving that he was telling the truth. He was also proving to us that he's going to make all things new. And so even though we die, one day we will be resurrected at the resurrection of the dead, and we will live forever with him in the new heavens and the new earth. And the proof that everything sad is going to come untrue is realized in the resurrected Lord Jesus. It's the hope that all other hopes spring from, the hope that God can even defeat our greatest enemy in sin and death. And so for many of us, you know, we live at step one for many years. We, we know God's love for us. We accept it. Uh, we feel like God is our father. He's looking out for us. Everything's fine. But unfortunately, there is a second step. And the second step, according to Brueggemann, is crisis. Uh, there's something that happens in our walk with the Lord uh, that forever changes our trajectory. And maybe even our perspective on ourselves on God, on the truthfulness of the gospel. And these crises can come in all kinds of things. They don't have to be big uh, to other people. They just have to be big to you, right? Uh, It could be the wrong health diagnosis. It could be the dissolution of your marriage. It could be as simple as just coming across a really troubling passage of scripture that seems to undermine what you've been taught. Uh, It could be that you feel like the church and political parties are too close. It could be abuse inside the church context. I mean, it's anything that can cause an unpredictable, unforeseen crisis of faith. I won't ask you to raise your hand if you've had them. Because really what I need to ask is not, have you had them? The question is, is how many have you had? So what are we supposed to do with step two. Well, for a lot of people, you live for the rest of your life at step two and you live a defeated life. Uh, sure, you know, you, lo- you know the Lord loves you and um, you know, you know, it's not like you're going to hell because of that, but you're gonna go to heaven, but your Christian life is dry. It lacks hope. It lacks vitality. Uh, you wouldn't dare share the gospel with anybody because what in the world are you sharing? There's nothing good about God. He's unpredictable. I thought God was supposed to keep me secure. You know, you live the rest of your life on step two, wishing you could get back to step one, right? But you can't go back to step one. That's what makes step two a crisis, right? But what if there was step three? What if there was something after the crisis? What if there was an ability to use the disappointment or the crisis to grow an indestructible faith? Or as Brueggemann will call it, in anti-fragile faith. Is that possible? What would that even look like? Well, I think what is going on in our passage this morning is very much about a relationship with Jesus that was existing on step one 
for a very long time. It was a very long plateau. Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they knew Jesus. Jesus calls them his friend, his friend. And they know that Jesus loves them. They're friends. They've shared meals. They are secure in their relationship with Jesus. Everything's fine. But then, inevitably, what comes next? Step two. Lazarus is about to die. And then to make things worse, even though he's sick, they reach out to Jesus and they say, hey, remember your love for us. You know, Lazarus, whom you love, he's sick. Come help us. And what does Jesus do? Look at verse 6. Even though he hears that Lazarus is sick unto death, he stays two days longer. So that by the time that Jesus finally does show up, Lazarus has been dead four days. So if the sickness, the health diagnosis, wasn't the crisis of faith, uh, this perceived callousness of Jesus is certainly the crisis of faith. Why did you wait so long? Even when Jesus finally does come, if you remember from last week, Mary doesn't even go out to talk to him. Uh, her, her faith is just, in her mind, it is totally destroyed and there's nothing left. What's the point? She's living on step two. But what if the story and your story is meant to develop within you an indestructible faith, an anti-fragile faith? Uh, what if your fragile faith is meant to be removed so that an anti-fragile, an indestructible one would take its place? What would that look like? Well, I think there's all kind of hints in this passage. And I think there's a lot of things we can learn about what to do if you're living on step two. Uh, so with that in mind, let's, let's focus on our passage this morning. How would you grow in anti-fragile faith? How would you uh, live in an unpredictable world? Well, the first thing I want you to realize right here is, well, what's the crisis? Well, it's right there in verse one. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus, right? So there it is. That's the crisis that they're facing. And just to establish uh, the love relationship, the security of step one, uh, John tells us in verse 2, it's Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. Uh, that's going to come up in chapter 12. We haven't got there yet. John is kind of looking forward. So he's just establishing that there's a good relationship uh, between these uh, people, that Jesus and this family are uniquely close. And so what, notice what happens, though, in verse 3. The sisters, Mary and Martha, send to Jesus and they say what? Lord, the man who has served you faithfully his whole life, who has tithed sacrificially, who prays daily, who's led the Bible study, who, Lord have mercy, served on the property committee and used to vacuum the sanctuary and has cleaned the toilets in the little boy's room, right? He is in need, so it's time to reciprocate. Is that what they say? What do they focus on when these, uh, these grieving people appeal to Jesus? Notice that they don't start off with their record of righteous deeds. And I know, when I say that, I know nobody actually does that uh, explicitly or in your mind. You don't approach God saying, God, thank you that I'm not like those other people, that I'm righteous, so if you would, heal me. I know you don't explicitly think like that. But if you really dig underneath the surface, if you are in step two, there's going to be part of you and there's going to be part of me that asks, God, how is this fair? <laughs> Haven't I served you? Isn't there something you can give me for all of my good works? 
It may never be stated, but just ask yourself at step two, do you have a level of resentment towards God? And if there's resentment, is it possible that you really are trying to appeal to God out of works, out of your righteous deeds? Come on, God, I've done this my whole life. What are you doing to me? But notice what we're supposed to learn from these wise women. They don't come to Jesus with any record of righteous deeds. What they focus on is they focus on Jesus' love for them. And if you're keeping a list, that's the first way you're going to grow anti-fragile faith. The first way you take that first step to step three is you stop focusing on your righteous deeds for God which is only going to lead you to resentment. And you need to focus on Jesus Christ's love for you. And when I say you, I don't mean that you in the plural. I mean that you in the singular. I mean you as an individual. Do you know that Jesus loves you? You. He has set his affection on you, Christian. On you. You see, that's what the crisis is supposed to lead you to. That's the first step out of there. Um, Remember, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but what? But that he loved us. Sort of the way you get out of the fragile faith that's destroyed is you stop balancing out your righteous deeds to God's good provision. And what you do is you, you give your mind a totally different thing to focus on, which is God's love for you in Christ Jesus. Um, you know, it, it's hard to explain how important this shift is, uh, but, you know, we, you know, when people are really struggling and they're in crises, they get fixated on things. Have you ever been around somebody who's just really fixated? I mean, imagine there was like a global pandemic and your mother was very concerned and you just couldn't get her off of it. She was totally fixated on it. Anybody, I know it's a hard analogy to take, but just imagine that in your mind's eye, right? When you get really worried about things, when you're living at step two, you get fixated on it. And no matter what anybody says, you keep coming back, right? It's like that's like the center of gravity, and you're circling around the center of gravity. Or it's like the bottom of the toilet, and you're just spinning around into the depths of despair, right? So how do you shift what you're thinking about? Well, you've probably heard me say it before, you know. I mean, if I, if I tell you, don't, don't think about the red apple right here. Don't picture a red apple in my hand, and don't think about it. you got to stop worrying, Mom, about the red apple, You know, don't worry, mom, if it's a gala, right? Don't worry if it's a Fuji apple. Stop thinking about the red apple. How do you, well, that's all I'm thinking about. Well, how do you stop thinking about a red apple? You think about the orange in this hand. (laughs) That's how you stop thinking about the red apple. You think about something different. I mean, the way you get out of step two is you stop thinking about your righteous deeds or how unfair God is. And you start actually contemplating the gospel, This the power of the cross. Christ became sin. He took the blame. He bore the wrath. And now I stand forgiven at the cross. See, that's the first shift out of step two. You you stop thinking about yourself and inward focused and you start focusing on God's indestructible love for you. All right, so that's the first way you can start to build this anti-fragile faith. There's something else, too. Um, And if if you don't see that, it's right there. Remember, look, it's verse 3. What do they focus on? They focus in their moment of crisis. They ground their hope 
in Jesus's love. He whom you love. He doesn't say the guy who's sick who loves you. They say Jesus, the guy you love. And in case you missed it, that this is all about Jesus's love, look what verse five says. <laughs> if you didn't get that, John tells you explicitly, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. You focus on Jesus' love for you. Now, the next thing you've got to do uh, is going to also, it's going to be tricky, but this is what you were designed to do. And it's right there in verse 4. We start to get an answer as to what God is up to. Why are you doing this? This seems unpredictable. And it says right there in verse 4. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness doesn't lead to death. It is for what? The glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And as hard as it is to believe, friend, um, the goal of your life and my life is to bring God glory. I don't know if you, for, amen, I don't know if you've forgotten that. The goal of your life is not to build a big house with a three-car garage, have 2.3 children, get them all through private school, get them all through public university, get them all their masters and their PhDs, and then you retire early. And then your kids can have 2.3 grandkids, which you'll see until the point you don't want to see them anymore. That's not the point of your life. I don't, know, I don't know, you know, again, this isn't always something we think about explicitly or we tell ourselves we're thinking about. But if you take an assessment of your life, what are the things that keep you up at night? Um, you know, Billy Graham used to famously say he could tell the state of a person's heart by looking at what? Their checkbook. Which, for you young people, is an old way of recording your expenses. It's like <laughs> your, your debit card account, Right? It's like, all I need to do is look at what you, you bought on PayPal, right? And his point simply is we get so distracted about what the point of our life is that we forget that, as Paul will say, we're like soldiers, and our goal is to please the general. And it's not, it's not bad to get degrees or want grandkids or want kids or want a three-car garage. I'm not, you know, poo-pooing on that. What I'm saying is, what is the goal of your life? What's the goal? If the goal is to cling to something in this life, um, you're going to live at step two forever. Step two, for, how, how could it not? You know how life ends, right? <laughs> he who dies with the most toys still dies, right? But what if you looked at your life the way that, I don't know, Jesus looked at his life? And his goal was to entrust himself to him who judges justly. So that even if he suffered, he would not revile in return. And even though he was beaten, he would not strike back. What if the crisis was meant to bring God glory? You know, I think there, there, it's easy to see how God gets glory when there's a healing, right? Or, or, you know, if the coronavirus goes away, we say, you know, that brings God glory that he healed well, that, it, that does bring God glory. But you know what else brings God glory? When Christians suffer much and continue entrusting themselves to him who judges justly. You know what brings God glory? When Job, who loses everything, says what? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
Paul says it this way, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest upon me. You see, in some ways, the, the way you get out of step two isn't complicated, right? You center your life on Jesus' love for you, and then you reorient your life and say, wait a second, the goal of my life is to make much of Jesus Christ, to bring him glory, so that if he blesses me, praise God. And if I suffer, my sufferings are only going to bring me closer to him who suffered for me. And I will not complain. I will continue trusting him. I mean, think about it this way. Um, if, you, if you had a, um, a tragedy in your life, and you could either go to a friend who was always wealthy, always healthy, and had never suffered anything, or you could go to a friend who had suffered much and yet still held on to hope. Which friend would you go to for advice in the midst of your tragedy? The friend who hadn't suffered anything or the friend who'd been through step two and found step three? Jesus gives us more advice, more insight into how to get to step three. You know, he uses this analogy in verse nine, right? The disciples, they're having their own crisis, right? It's, verse eight is their crisis, right? <laughs> Don't you love the disciples? Because Jesus says, let's go to Judea. And they respond with, why are you going to Judea? They don't say, wait, why are we going? They say, why are you going? <laughs> they are not committed yet uh, to following Jesus to Judea. Why? Because they don't want to get stoned to death. I mean, what in the world, Jesus? You know, they're, they're living at step two. What are you doing? And Jesus gives us this beautiful analogy. And, you know, in the ancient world, they would have seen the daytime as starting at sunrise and ending at sunset. And so for them, because they didn't have Timex watches back then, they would say, well, that's 12 hours. That's the day, right? So all Jesus is saying is you do your work during the daytime. And when it's night, nobody can work. And he uses that analogy to say, well, you need to follow me in the daytime. Because if you try to work in the dark, if you try to not follow me, you're going to stumble. And it's not going to go well. Uh, you're not going to find step three in the dark. I alone can lead you in the light to step three. I alone am the light of this world. So the other way you build anti-fragile faith and indestructible faith is you make a commitment to following Jesus. You follow Jesus. Uh, you don't try to, you know, um, Jesus doesn't say worry about the next week and worry about the next year and worry about the next five years. What does Jesus say? If you're going to worry about anything, worry about today. <laughs> Today's got enough problems. But do not worry about tomorrow. You don't know what the day's going to bring. Take it day by day. And Luke, Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow me. I mean, the way you build anti-fragile faith, I mean, you don't sit down and make out a, a five-year plan to grow your faith, right? I mean, that's like a pastor's dream that people would sit down and say, well, here's my five-year discipleship plan, right? The best laid thoughts of pastors, right? No one's ever done that. If you are, you're not getting any brownie points for that. What Jesus says to do is what? Take it day by day. Take it today. Don't worry about tomorrow. That's what Jesus tells us to do. Take care of today. Walk in the light while it's day. The other thing to think about in this story, uh, another bit of advice on building indestructible faith. Um, 
you know, to use that analogy, to get from step two to step three, is to remember what Jesus says in verse 11. You know, Jesus says that analogy, but they don't get the analogy. You know, they're kind of, they're stressed out, right? They're anxious. They don't want to go get stoned. And in verse 11, after saying these things, Jesus says to the disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And now they think what he's talking about is they think that just simply means Lazarus is tired and, you know, just like we would go to bed uh, during the day while we were sick. Well, you know, Lazarus will get better, right? He's just, you know, sleeping, so he'll, he'll recover. But that's not what Jesus is saying. What is Jesus saying? He says, I'm going to go raise him from the dead. That's what I'm going to go do. After all, Jesus tells him Lazarus is already dead. Lazarus is already dead by the time this message comes. He's dead. Jesus says it. Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad I wasn't there. Presumably because I would have prevented him from dying. But Lazarus is already dead, and so I'm going to go bring him back. So what that means for you, Christian, is part of the way you get to step three is you remember that Jesus does have a plan, right? Sometimes it feels like he doesn't have a plan. Sometimes you, you feel like you're just stardust living in a universe with no meaning, but Jesus does have a plan. It may just be that you don't actually hear the plan, right? <laughs> Jesus has told them, trust me, walk in the light. I've got this. And then he says, I'm going to go raise him from the dead. But they don't get that. It may be, friends, that Jesus is actually giving you answers for what he's up to. It may just be simply you can't hear it right now. Maybe you don't have ears to hear it. You don't have eyes to see it. But Jesus does have a plan. And at the end of the day, we know what his plan is. It's the resurrection, that death is not the end, that he's going to make all things new. And what the resurrection means is simply that when you die, if you love Jesus and you follow him, your soul is going to go to heaven, to that other dimension or realm or whatever you want to call it, the spiritual world, and you'll live with the Lord until he returns to earth and redeems all of creation. And just like Jesus will once again stand upon the earth and Job will see him in the flesh, so will you. You'll get your body back and it'll be totally healed. And we'll live forever in a renewed world. I mean, that's Jesus' plan. It is sure. Um, I don't know if this analogy makes any sense, but um, when I used to live in North Carolina, there was this beautiful mountain called Craggy. And uh, it's very similar to Mount McLaughlin. As you drive around, you can see the top of Craggy. And uh, one of the ways that I would know that summer was coming is the top of Craggy would what? Anybody know? Yeah, uh, I don't know what you'd call it. it. It's not snow, but it'd be like hoarfrost, you know, that like really, maybe I don't have enough precipitation to have that. But the top of Mount Craggy was always uh, white, you know. Sometimes it was snow, but it was just ice was all over it. But then sometime, you know, April or May, I would be driving around and the top of the mountain would what? It'd be green. And I would know without a doubt that summer's coming. You see, friends, when Jesus walks out of the tomb and his lungs breathe, and when he goes to the beach and he eats fish, it's proof that the renewal of all things is going to happen. As sure as the top of Mount McLaughlin losing its snow is proof that summer has come, Jesus' resurrection is proof that the resurrection of all things is going to happen. We just don't know when. Uh, friends, you and I live underneath the mountain, right? And the mountain doesn't have any snow on it. You and I live in light of the resurrection of Jesus, and it's proof that he can do anything. 
Maybe stop focusing on that red apple and think about the resurrection. Let me just finish up with this. Um, I think the other part of what Jesus is doing, uh, I hinted at it just a few minutes ago, is I, I, I don't think Lazarus is already alive or still alive when Jesus hears about this. I think what he means, and if you, you know, just number the days, he's only about a day away, and when he gets there, it's, he's already been dead four days. What is really happening in this story is Lazarus has already died, and Jesus says, well, I'm glad I wasn't there because had I been there, I would have prevented him from dying. But knowing now that Lazarus is dead, let's see what God's going to do with this. And part of what God's going to do with this is he's going to grow your faith so that you believe him. So that you believe him. Even the disciples needed to grow in their belief. What does he say? Look at verse 15. Jesus says, And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. Why? Not because he wants to see Lazarus suffer, but because he knows that this crisis, this step two, can lead to stronger belief. He says, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe. You know, I've asked it before, but when I hear Jesus say stuff like that, I can't help but wonder, you know, Am I educated beyond my simple belief in Jesus? You know, I've spent years studying the Bible, and you probably have too, and you've listened to podcasts. Are we educated? Like, our, does our Bible knowledge, is it, is it if it were a chart, right? If, if it were a chart, does our Bible knowledge look bigger and more impre- impressive than our simple belief? I mean, when I was talking about the resurrection, do you believe that? <laughs> Well, I don't know about that. That's a little weird. Are you educated beyond your simple belief? I mean, this is why Jesus says, have faith like a child. Who knows more about the Bible, you or your kid? Man, I hope you do. But who has easier simple belief? Your kid does. Your kid does, right? Your grandkid does. Even the disciples need to grow in their belief. Because, as you know, the disciples are all going to suffer, and they're all going to one day be martyred, except for John. And so now is the time to learn how to get beyond step two for them so they can grow the faith that they'll need to endure until the end, to be an overcomer. Lastly, if none of that makes sense, just stick with Thomas, right? Just, if nothing else, just stick with Jesus, right? He says, let's go so that we may die with him. If, you, if nothing I said makes any sense, if that, you know, resonates nothing with you at all, just stick with Jesus, okay? It's going to be okay, right? And even if it's not okay, it's going to be okay. So just finish up with this. You know, is God unpredictable? Is life unpredictable? You know, Nassim Tlaib, you know, that Lebanese scholar, you know, he, he talks about those big events, right? Those black swan events that can rock our world. And what he says is uh, the whole point of a black swan is they, they can't be predicted. So the goal of your life is not to try to predict what God's going to do or what's going to happen. Instead, the purpose of step two is to grow anti-fragile faith, an indestructible faith that can get you through the inevitable next step two you're going to face. And you do that by focusing on God's love for you in Christ, remembering that your life's goal is really God's glory. 
that you walk in the light. You remember that Jesus has a plan, that it's the resurrection. And if nothing else, friends, let's stick with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I pray for um, everyone in this room, uh, Lord, that they would grow in their belief, their simple belief. Uh, Father, we are uh, stressed and worried and anxious about many things, but one thing is necessary. Lord, help every one of us move from step two to step three. Uh, Help us to have an anti-fragile faith. Lord, help us to have an indestructible faith. Help us to think about your love for us in Christ. Amen.